recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with Coach Renee Dreyfus and Matt Peters. Ring the bell and let's get it on. The bell's been rung and it's getting on. I got to figure out a better way to do that. <laughs> the introduction is getting a little static. No, I think it's great. All right. Okay. Consistency is not a bad thing. Consistently bad is the bad thing, right? Is that bad? <laughs> well, <laughs> and then people won't expect anything better. <laughs> <laughs> That's my goal in life. <laughs> Consistently disappoint people and then they'll never expect anything from me. Sorry to my wife. <laughs> That's <a laughs> We're back again. Matt Peters, Coach Renee Jeffers, uh, live from... The Mets of Radical MMA in New York City, uh, podcast sponsored by NutriChef NYC, and thanks to ChrisForMedia.net for hosting and distributing our podcast on their great network. So, let's spend a little time getting to know each other. Sounds and, great. And have the listeners know us a little bit as well. So, Coach Renee. Yes, Matt. You have a long history of, of fighting and beating people up and training and learning and uh, bettering yourself within the, the martial arts world. Yeah, I, I started martial arts in 1975, so I, I go quite a bit back. Uh, martial arts always been been part of my life, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm very lucky, lucky for that. I never thought that I would do martial arts as a career. I always just thought it was just something I loved. But then I realized, why don't I do something I love yeah. as a career? It took me a while to understand that, that <laughs> made that connection, you know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been doing it since 1975. I've studied um, a lot of different martial arts. Um, and then, um, yeah, here I am today. Wow. So what, uh, what, what got you to start martial arts? Was it a, a, a driving really, passion? A really mean bully. A mean bully? Is that, that is how exact, all the stories that's start? Start, that's how it starts, you know? And it also... New York wasn't just like it is today in 1975, mm-hmm. and then also later in the 80s, it was it was not as it's not as nice a place. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it started out with uh, being bullied as a kid, and you know, developing that kind of deep, you know, those scars. And obviously, you know, these are first world problems. You know, I, it's not like I was like a child soldier or anything like that. You know, but but still, when you're five years old or six years old, and you don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, in school, and you don't feel uh, that you can take care of yourself. It, it, it's not something that is pleasant. Mm-hmm. So I never told my parents that I was being bullied because you know you kind of get ashamed of it. But what I did do was watch. There's this thing called uh, Drive-In Movie, which was Channel Five. Uh, it was like a twelve o'clock on the afternoon or two o'clock in the afternoon. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturdays, every single Saturday. And anybody who grew up in New York is a little bit my age. They, they know a drive-in movie, and every single time the kung fu movies would come on, and it would be—it was not like Jackie Chan. It was like the more, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, five five deadly venoms, or you know, the the <laughs> you know these old nineteen seventies Shaw Brothers things, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, my dad saw me uh, mimicking the moves that I was watching. Because I'm like, okay, let me watch this. And let's see if I can defend myself. Mm-hmm. And my parents thought it was super cute. But my dad's like, well, if you're going to do it, you should probably learn from a proper teacher. Yeah. And that's how I got started. Well, thanks, and, Dad. That's yeah, a yeah. very observant father. And, you know, it's funny because everything comes full circle. My dad was born in Germany in 1913. And the martial art 
that everybody talked about when 1913, in, in, well, not 1913, he was born, but when he was a kid, mm -hmm. was jujitsu. And he knew, he didn't know what karate was. Mm -hmm. He'd not heard, this was in the 70s, and my dad wasn't exactly into martial arts or anything, but he didn't know karate, he didn't know the terms taekwondo, he didn't know anything, but he knew jiu-jitsu, because mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu was already kind of out there. It wasn't Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but that was the thing. So the first martial art he actually looked for was jiu-jitsu, oh. but there was no jiu-jitsu in New York then. And uh, uh, he was a physician, and one of his patients was a, a very dedicated karate practitioner and said, why don't you take him to my academy? And that, that's how I got started. Wow. Yeah. Um, but now, of course, I do, I mean, I do mixed martial arts, but uh, a very strong component of what I do is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu mm -hmm. and Judo, which is a form of Jiu-Jitsu, you know, so. And you spent some time in uh, Japan? I spent six years in Japan. I left in 1992. And, I mean, I left America in 1992, and I lived in Japan until 1998. Unfortunately, I uh, got injured in Japan, um, had a little accident, uh, not on the mats, and um, got injured and uh, had to come back for some surgery and kind of messed, really, really, really messed up my leg. And I wasn't able to use my leg properly for a couple of years. And I had uh, some surgeries and lots of therapy and rehab. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but it, it didn't stop me. And that kind of bringing me back from Japan was uh, kind of good because I was able to see the, the transformation of the martial arts scene here in America or yeah. in the West. Where in Japan, where they, they had some things they, they, were, they were on the cusp of and some things they were left behind. So it was very interesting to see what was going on in Japan at the time and then what was going on here in the time. And there was no, at that time, there wasn't much Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Tokyo, very, very little, and not at um, an extremely high level, although there were some, some practitioners. Mm -hmm. But uh, most of those guys were going to, to California, Brazil to train. And then they would come back and kind of teach a small group. Um, there was some freestyle grappling, which is, I did do that there, uh, and I trained judo there as well, but but not Brazilian jiu-jitsu. When I came back, I was exposed to the, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Gracie jiu-jitsu, so yeah. that was great. But when I was in Japan, I did train with some amazing judo fighters and some amazing, uh, you know, what's called the freestyle Japanese game, which was a little bit a mix of maybe you would want to call Russian Sambo, a little bit mix of catch wrestling, and some people like uh, Sakuraba or Imanari or all these fighters that have drawn on. Um, but that, that, that's, uh, that's something that I was exposed to too there, and I was very lucky to train with some, some really great guys. Uh, I was sad to leave Japan because it was a really interesting place, but it was a great adventure. But I, I, you know, I also knew, I knew that I, did, I, I needed something different, you know? Mm -hmm. And I got some great things in Japan, but um, but I needed something different. And it just happened that that accident took me back here. I recovered. And then I trained a lot in California because I was very lucky. My sister lived in California, and so I could go out there and train. And then also I was in Brazil for a little bit, uh, just a little bit, not too long, but I was training there as well. Wow. And, uh, and, You've um, been everywhere, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and it's great. Mostly my training's here in New York. And, yeah. uh but had the challenge. I just it was it wasn't a choice. As a martial artist, I really felt that MMA or it wasn't MMA that right? it was an NHB, no holds barred or right. Valley Tudo, which is things I knew I had to do that to, to 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 satisfy something in myself to make sure that I was real. And um, as a, as a as a martial artist, emphasis on martial. There's no disrespect to people who do Tai Chi or do, do any martial art for more recreational, more personal, or more spiritual reason. You know, I did train um, some Aiki Jiu-Jitsu when I was younger, 
And a lot of the Aikido or the Aikido Jiu-Jitsu world is not oriented towards combat. Um, they're oriented towards a more spiritual development or something like that. Tai Chi, same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. Um, whatever floats your boat. I'm not here to say any one way is wrong, but for me, personal you know, self-protection and efficiency of combat and proving that what I was learning could work for me was very, very important. And to do that, I, I wanted to go into a situation that had you know, extremely limited rules and to see what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, yeah, I did that 17 times. Nice. Um, so, uh, you know, New York was a weird place because it was like kind of legal, kind of not legal. Nobody really knew, and people thought it was legal. So, so it wasn't. It wasn't exactly, you know. And back then, you know, MMA was like wasn't like now. It was like, you know, if you did MMA, you were some sort of social pariah. Mm-hmm. You were not lauded. You're not like, oh, you know, Conor McGregor. It wasn't like that, right. and it wasn't a thing to to brag to your friends about. <laughs> Although everybody, everybody who, everybody, every guy under thirty years old at that time, you could see it changing. If you were under 30 years old, you were renting the UFC tapes at Blockbuster. You were, it was interesting. There was something new here. And you could see that it was going to go somewhere. Yeah. If you're over 30, you know, the John McCain age, you're like, ah, what is this? This blood sport, <laughs> human cockfighting. You know, but, uh, but, you know, the young kids, I was young then. I'm not young anymore. I was younger. But uh, everybody was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> but it was not socially accepted. It was no. not something you tell your mom that you're doing. No, if I had watched, uh, you know, one of the old UFC one, two, and three, <laughs> and my mom walked in the room, I would have gotten in trouble. Right, you exactly. Know? Right. They're like, "What are you watching? Porn?" You know? <laughs> Tank Abbotts and those kind of characters coming in. And oh my god! That would have been a, a conversation I would have had. Oh, that fight, Tank Abbott, when he fought that uh, Hawaiian bone bone breaker martial art guy, and he just he just. I mean, it, like he almost crippled him. I remember that. That was crazy. Was they were crazy so fight. crazy back then. They were just nuts. They were nuts. No weight classes. Nothing. It was it real. Was just, it was so nuts. And everybody was it. specialized. It, it wasn't mixed martial arts. No, it, it was wasn't. A boxer versus a Muay Thai. You know, there was. You know, you know, there was a proto mixed martial art ev- evolution in Japan because it actually <clears throat> Japan had this ring called Shuto, and they had another ring called Pancras. But Shuto was really grassroots, where it was. The whole idea was become a striker, become a thrower, and become a submission artist. So basically mixed martial arts, you know? And they had that idea, and you saw some fighters come out of there, but they didn't quite have the technical excellence in certain arts that other people had. So when they fought Japanese, Japanese fought Brazilians or fighters from America, they, they, some, they did well, but sometimes they were outclassed too. Um, but they were, they, were, they were pushing that evolution. And, uh, you know, that Sakuraba came out of that tradition. And a lot of the really good fighters, Rumi Nasato, a lot of the fighters came out of the tradition. Uno Kaoru, um, uh, they came out of that tradition. And, um, you, you know, you have to really respect them because they were pioneers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, really it started evolving in America. And you, the first real mixed martial artists were kind of from the lines then. That was old Ken Shamrock School. And yeah, they were crazy, but they were really learning kickboxing. And they were really learning takedowns, and they were learning submissions. They were putting it together in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, really threading each one together. Because it's not like just learn kickboxing today. This is, this is not what MMA is. It's not what NGB was. If you learn one day you do kickboxing, one day you do wrestling, and one day you do submission fighting, 
That's not mixed martial arts. That's doing different things. It's like, I'll play tennis today, football tomorrow, and soccer the next day. They have nothing to do with each other, right? What it is is how you combine them and thinking about the interesting permutations of, of combinations. That's what MMA is. And it started, and Frank Shamrock's the really first elite level mixed martial artist where he was segueing for great wrestling. And he's the first, first person in the UFC that I can remember what had a, a KO from a throw. Hmm. So he picked up a Russian fighter, um, I believe it was Igor Zinoviev, and picked him up and threw him. And it was absolutely, you know, tech, tech tactical. Like he, he said, I'm going to throw him on his shoulder to, to make that throw uh, uh, really damaging. Mm-hmm. He wound up breaking his collarbone and dislocating his shoulder. The guy went into, uh, into shock right there. And, uh, and then he also had that epic match with Tito Ortiz, which nobody knows anymore, but they had this great match. And it was the first real match where you're like, oh, wait, it's not just a jiu-jitsu guy. It's not just a wrestler. It's mixed martial arts. Well, you're right. In the beginning, it was more style versus style. Mm-hmm. And then that was the first evolution. And then, you know, you started having, everybody started following him and evolving more and more and more. You know, it, it's a, and it's, it's a great, great sport. Now, I do miss those old days. There's nothing better than like, okay, it's sumo versus karate. <laughs> What's going to happen? You know, like, it's just, it's like a comic book. You know, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. So I do miss those days. True. And... I don't like the gamesmanship of, you know, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play to the rules. I'm going to put my hand on the floor, you know, uh, so I don't get knee in the face versus actually learning how to defend the knee. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you, you know, you, if you put your hand on the floor, they, they're changing the rules. But, but if you put your hand on the floor, um, do, even if your knees are off the floor, your opponent can't knee you to the head. That rule is actually going to be changed. But so there's a fight with Weidman versus Musasi recently where he started trying to play that game. And then Musasi timed it and then wound up kneeing him in the head and really, really, really hurting Chris Weidman. So, you know, I'm not really into that gameplay. Like, I like to see what's functional mm-hmm. in a fight. And, you know, MMA, it, it predates to me the UFC. I think, I think MMA or MHB, whatever you want to call it, it's a movement. And the movement was started really in the West by a lot of different people, but the people who really got it going were the Gracies in, in Brazil. But it was also, there were other places too. And this idea is like, how can, we, how, can we, how can we find what's most effective in fighting? So it wasn't necessarily about, like mixed martial arts is, is not the title I want to use. I want to use the title, no holds barred or mi- limited rules combat. So what's going to work if there are no rules? Like what, 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 let's make this experiment. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have this, this theory that this move works. I come from whatever style. Then I'm going to test it out scientifically versus, versus just taking the word from your instructor. Hey, this works. When I touch you like this, you die because my chi is so strong. <laughs> okay. Well, and we, we laugh at that now. But, you know, let me tell you, in 1980 was kind of like the dark ages of martial arts where there was a lot of, you know, uh, you know people thought certain things would work. And we know that they don't. And, and obviously the chi example is silly, but they, that still exists, that people still believe that. Um, but also that certain martial arts are, are, are functional uh, was just taken as an under, it's, it's given, okay, you're, 
you're a Taekwondo black belt or you're a karate black belt, and of course you're a killer. Well, not necessarily. Depends how you train. That's not to say that Taekwondo or karate doesn't have a place in fighting. They have some elements that are functional, but much less functional in no rules context than we thought. And that's no disrespect to all the people out there competing on the Olympic level of Taekwondo. I competed in, in uh, Taekwondo on a national level uh, in, in my teens and total respect, but there's a, a huge percentage of that which is what we call incestuous. Now, what does that mean? It's nothing to do with families, but <laughs> nothing like that. But it's sort of like, you're a boxer, I'm a boxer. We agree to these boxing rules. So more and more and more, what we'll do is we'll game play and do certain things according to the rules that will, the rules will allow us so we can win the fight more efficiently. Mm-hmm. So Hicks and Gracie talks about it. It's the difference between efficiency and effectiveness. So... I'm using the rules to my advantage, so I'm a very efficient gamesman. But in a no-rules context, what I'm doing would not work. For example, boxers have this, you know, what we call the Philly shell. doesn't really work well when people start kicking your knee. So you can't do that that much, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. You know, a lot of Mayweather didn't really do this so much with Conor McGregor, but it's Mayweather's known for that side stance. Philly shell is very known for that. And... If you throw a low kick right to his leg, he's going to fall over. He's going to break his knee. So that doesn't work if somebody's throwing kicks or if somebody shoots a takedown. It's not going to work. So you don't see people fighting like that in MMA. You can't. You're going to get, it's going to get hurt. Yet, you see a tremendous amount of boxers do that because obviously there are no kicks. And then in, in Thai boxing or in kickboxing, there's no takedowns. In wrestling, there's no submissions. So in wrestling... What you'll do is you'll go belly down on your back. You'll go belly down to avoid the pin. Well, if you go belly down and the person you're fighting is uh, um, versed in submissions, he's going to choke you out. So there's that element of sports specificness, which I call incestuous. You know, it only works if you're fighting the same style guy under those rules, mm-hmm. which is not reality. That's a game that people made. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in games. I'm interested in fighting. What I don't like about modern MMA is that it's orienting itself a little bit towards gamesmanship. Still real. It's still real. It's the realest thing you got there. But everybody knows, okay, it's five minute rounds. And then if there's no action here, the referee's going to stop. Okay, if I'm going to put my hand here, this is not going to happen. Okay, in this position, there's no knees. There's no this. There's no that. There's no this. Joe Rogan is actually very critical of the no kneeing a down opponent because it really changes the game. And I agree with him. Obviously, fighter safety has to be there. But, um, but uh, you know, I would like to see many more techniques that are legal allowed because that it's always like, well, what works in a fight? That, that's, that's why I got into this. And I think that's why most people study martial arts is, is well, sometimes it's for fitness, but it can also be like self-protection, you know? They, and some people are fans too of MMA, for sure. But we get into martial arts because we want to have some functional way of protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and, and staying fit and things like that. Um, but, you know, nobody wants to do something, at least I don't think, maybe, maybe some people, I don't know, but that has absolutely no relevance in the real world. Mm-hmm. So well, maybe they do, I don't know, but I didn't. And uh, so that's what always draws me to, to martial arts. And that's so, so when I see Tyrone Woodley, or like we were just talking about, um, you know, the Amanda Nunes, where it's a less action-packed fight, people are not going for the finish. People are playing the rounds and playing the scoring, it's, it's a little less interesting for me. So going back to the old days of like, 
okay, Gerard Gordot versus Tilly Talila, you know, sumo versus kickboxing. And then you see Talila's tooth fly across the ring and you're like, whoa. And, you know, when it's Hoist Gracie in a, you know, basic death match with Dan Severn and, oh my God, he triangled him. It's it's so much more compelling to me, you know. You know, no time limit, no weight class, no rules. That was the old, you know, uh, I mean, obviously I had some rules, but but uh, but very few, and um, that was always very. I miss those days. Yeah. I miss them. I'm an old school guy. I miss them. So that that's my that's my background. Yeah, I uh, uh, definitely love the, the early UFC fights. Yeah, uh, you know the one, two, and the threes and all that kind of stuff. It was definitely an interesting element to see those two styles come against each other. Yeah. Um, you know, people realizing it's what like works a comic and what book. doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> and there were characters. Superman versus you know the Hulk. Who's gonna yeah. win? <laughs> I mean, I, I I grew up watching wrestling more than uh, like than real wrestling or professional professional. Oh, okay. the, the fake wrestling, the fake scripted wrestling. stuff. And so you know, so the Hulk Hogan's and yeah, the and professional the, wrestling. Sorry, the world wrestler was WWE or yeah, WWF, yeah. whatever. Um, so I was when the UFC came around, they had those characters, you know, like mm. the Shamrock and the Tank Abbots and yeah. those kind of characters. I was drawn to it. And then you start watching it more, and you see the, the technical aspect of it, and you get more interested in that side of things as well. Well, you know, it's interesting, because professional wrestling used to be real fighting. It used to be a style called catches catch wrestling. And the biggest sports tournament in 1916, I believe it was. No, it was, it was during World War II, a little before World War I. Um, 1915, uh, 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 a little bit, 13, something like that, right? Uh, it was um, Gotch versus Hackenschmidt. And it was for the world wrestling title. It was the biggest sports event of the last 100 years. Hmm. So, you know, catch is catch wrestling or pro wrestling was, was a real sport that had real fighting. And then, you know, it just sort of devolved into showmanship. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think you, you have to understand that showmanship is itself. So, uh, so, you know, you see the showmanship in the UFC now, too. You know, you have to have that to make the sport stable. Yeah. And hopefully, showmanship never eclipses technique. Right. You know? Uh, I think uh, the, the base, the, the mixed martial arts or the martial arts community base is going to demand that there still be the level of, of quality in the fights. I hope so. Versus, I hope so. you know, entertainment value. Right. I, uh, unfortunately, the McGregor and uh, Mayweather fight was kind of the opposite of that. I mean, they still had good talent. Yeah, and but, it was real. It wasn't rigged. Sure. Yeah, but it was the the closest thing to being rigged, meaning a total mismatch. Yeah. So that's like almost being rigged. And if we know? want to go down that rabbit hole of uh, conspiracy theories, we could do that, but I don't recommend it. But uh, well, you know, what, what conspiracy theory? Well, though? you know, that the Mayweather was uh, throwing the fight in the first couple of rounds, or I, I don't think he was throwing Mc, it, or McGregor threw the fight. Yeah. You know, things like that. People I don't are, think so. People are talking a lot. Of I, stuff. I just think I think. Mayweather coasted him with a good strategy. He said, let me, let me make him think he's competitive, punch him out, and then he's tired because yeah. he's not used to going that far. And the pace of fighting is different between MMA and boxing. There's much more energy output. And this is not just my theory. If you look at, look at the guys who train high-level athletes, they look at the, the, the performance, you know, the outlet. So um, boxing is more aerobic. There's a very little anaerobic quality because you're not grappling so you're not wrestling so there's no isometric 
pulling. Now, I'm not an expert on, on you know, kinesiology in this. I, I should get my friend Jillson here, who is an absolute, we should have him on the show. He's an amazing expert at this. But be, when you introduce isometric holds, you're, you're doing something a little bit more ana, kind of anaerobic. And so the demands on the body are very different, and they're much higher. And the pace of fighting, because it's a shorter fight, mm-hmm. is, much, is much more. So when you're trained all your life as an MMA fighter, you're going to be revving at a higher pace. And you're going to burn out a little quicker. Mm-hmm. Which we saw. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think Mayweather's like, well, of course, I'll let him punch himself out. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to be used to going to deep waters. And I think he even said that before. He's like, I'm going to take him to deep waters. He's going to get tired. And I think he said that. I mean, I, I remember he said deep waters something, right? Yeah. I wasn't following it. I'll be honest. I was like, I'm not going to be part of this farce. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, but I remember him saying that. I'm like, yeah, that's what he's going to do. And, and, and people are like, oh, he's going to run. He's going to run. I'm like, he's not going to run. He's going to stay there. And he's going to just get it, let McGregor punch himself out. He's going to let McGregor punch himself out, get tired, and then he's going to go for the kill. Mm-hmm. And I said that to a lot of people, and that's what he did. I mean, I thought he would, he would move a little bit more in the first rounds, but he didn't even move. He just kept his hands up and blocked and didn't need any damage, but barely did anything. Mm-hmm. Because he's, you know, it's kind of playing possum. Like, like, and that's a standard boxing strategy. Look at Ali rope-a-dope. Right. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. It just wasn't on the ropes. He's like, let him get tired, punch himself out. All right, let's go. So, you know... You're going to say that he threw a fight? No. Then you have to say Ali threw the fight, you know, the first rounds. No, it was well, a Well, I think Ali actually did throw a couple fights. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know that much. <laughs> I can't. Well, you Let's know. Let's not go that far. Well, you know, Ali is a real interesting guy because, you know, Ali has an MMA fight. Does Most he? people don't know that. I did not. So Ali dabbled in pro wrestling when he was, I believe, suspended. So he went to Japan and he was supposed to have a fake fight with this guy named Enoki. But they just hated each other from the very, very beginning. They hated each other. Mm. So immediately went from fake to real. Wow. It is the most boring fight you've ever seen. <laughs> but it's all real. So what Enoki is a wrestler, what he does is he just jumps to his back and starts kicking Ali's shit mm-hmm. and says, come down to grappling world. And Ali's like, no, you come up to striking world. No, you come to grappling world. No, you come to striking world. No, you- <laughs> and it's... An hour of that. But the problem was that Inoki kicked Ali's leg so much, he developed serious, very serious problems in his leg. Hmm. And that that when he came back to boxing, he couldn't use the footwork that he had before. Hmm. I mean, obviously, age would probably have something to do with it, too. But because of those serious fractures and damage, an hour, over, watch the fight, over and over and over again, Inoki kicks his leg. And hard stomp kicks right to the shin developing all this damage in his leg that never went away, which is why he couldn't perform his same usual footwork later on in his career. One of the contributing reasons. Interesting, But Uh, he actually has an MMA fight. Well, uh, wrestling, let's bring it back. Professional wrestling, I apologize. Oh, right, sorry. Um, Andre the Giant. Oh, yeah. He fought... Iron uh, Sheik. He fought in uh, Japan in a uh, traditional sumo wrestling fight. No kidding. And he was drunk off his mind during the fight. Like, he famously would get really drunk. Like, he took, like, two cases of beer to get drunk. He shows up to the fight, and he's wasted. And this guy is, like, disrespecting him, and he's like, this is like a joke fight. Like, just a, it's a Conor McGregor kind of thing. Right, right, He's right, just right. there to be a, yeah, right, 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 as right. a giant. And, uh, Japan just, has a history of that, of, like, making, you know... She freak show fights. Yeah, so he's not like pant giving it any like whatever. Yeah, and then it becomes serious, and he starts fighting back, and he just totally destroys this guy. Really, yeah, I find that hard to believe. Andre that, the Giant. That 
That's interesting. I have to look that up. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm a, fa- I'm a fan of sumo, so I have to figure out what sumo wrestler it was. It, but you know, yeah. it may not have been like a professional sumo fight. It might have been just for show, like some random dude that okay, did okay. sumo. So, because let me tell you, sumo guys, well, they're not MMA fighters or anything like that. There's a level of toughness in their grappling sure. that is is pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're, it's not a joke. What they like do, people they think do oh, it's well. just a bunch of two fat guys bumping each other. <laughs> it's not. It's a lot more than that. Right. You know, it's like they have some serious skill there. Yeah. You know, uh, I, um, obviously it's very, very unidimensional. You know, it's like boxing. It's like one small dimension. Right. You know, but in that dimension, they're really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to respect what they did. Um, but yeah, I'm speaking of uh, uh, sumo, though, you know, one of my favorite fights is, is Hoist Gracie versus Akibono, which is kind of a freak show fight, but still, it's like <laughs> jujitsu versus sumo. Yeah. <laughs> Let's like see what those, happens. You like those. I do. Those I freak do. shows are nice. They're oh, fun. They're, they're, they're entertaining. Yeah. They keep you entertained. Japan is like, you know, they, they get they give you freak shows, but at the same time, they're kind of weirdly compelling. Yeah. You know, which is, um, I think Bellator is sort of trying to do that, but they're not doing it right. They, you know, they had the Kimbo kind of fiasco where he, you know, the opponent almost died. Yeah. And then Kimbo, Kimbo died like a few months later. Yeah. You know, so you know it's just, it's not a healthy it's kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes these, these style, you know, style for style is always, always kind of interesting, you know. Street Fighter versus this, or the, you know, you're making that story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, like we were saying that, that there always has to be some sort of um, story element to make things compelling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, besides technique. Yeah. And I understand, that, you know, even I'm a, I'm a, a victim, even I'm like that, you know, I want to see what happens when this goes with this. Yeah, the rivalries. Yeah. Rivalries, you know, right, jo- right, right, Jones versus Cormier, those kind of things. You want to yeah. see the back and forth. Yeah, you know, and that, that, is, that is those stories, you know, uh, um, the, 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 the great rivalries define sports. And sometimes those champions later on in their life, they look at those rivalries and they're like, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And they, they bring you up to, up to your level. Right. Uh, it's too bad that, that Jones and Cormier is so sullied now with, you know, Jones positive steroid test and all that stuff. Yeah. Because that, that was a, that was um, a very compelling rivalry uh, in, in the modern. Internet. I was, I was really interested to see if Cormier could evolve and, and, and maybe, you know, take Jones out. I, you know, he didn't, but, um, but then again, you don't know because of, you know, the, the, the PEDs and all that. I, I don't really know anymore. Right. So it's real sad. But, um, but yeah, uh, another, you know, the rivalries, uh, we've seen a few of them in, in MMA. And, and they're, they're, always, they're always, especially when they're both two skilled guys, like Cormier and Jones. Mm-hmm. That's great, you know. Yeah, it makes it definitely more interesting. It feels realer. Yeah. Um, if that's a word. Uh, it just makes it feel like they're actually fighting. And yeah. there's a reason behind it besides just money. Um, and love of the sport. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, but you get also, I think that's why Demetri Johnson doesn't get paid because he's sort of like... He's just a nice guy. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I don't hate you. I have no rivalry. Yeah. You know, but he's a sportsman and that's kind of cool too. You know, that's the way why, in, you know, I did judo in Japan and judo guys in Japan, you know, used to used to hate MMA. Still to this day, a lot of judo guys in the, in the organization are very anti-MMA, particularly in Europe too, but, but in Japan. And, and one of my judo instructors, Professor Hirata, was like, no, no MMA, no MMA. We didn't say MMA, but it was, it was terrible. You know, peace, love, happiness. We just do to be martial arts to be better people. And that's great. You know, I, I get that. And, and um, the path of, of personal development. And he really, he really emphasized, judo really emphasized sportsmanship. 
And that's something I like about Demetrius Johnson, that he's a great sportsman. He doesn't have to hate you mm-hmm. to dismantle you and put you, turn you to a human pretzel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, but that, to me, that's, that's kind of, that's cool. He never disrespects his opponents. Yeah. And he just goes in and, and is a, is a, is a, he's not just an athlete. He's, he's artistic. He's like a, like a Barishnikov of violence. <laughs> you know, that, that's, I just love watching that. So I don't even need the rivalry. And sometimes to see someone so classy, yeah. that's great. George St. Pierre was like that too. He always impressed me with his being class. But he would also create a rivalry in a, in a very laid-back way. He's like this. And, you know, Brian Ortega is a new guy coming out who I love. He's from the Gracie Academy. And he doesn't create a rivalry at Trash Talk. But he said something recently that I said, love. I was like, this guy's a real martial artist. He's like... You know, I I don't I, I want to see. I'm very curious to see how people w- will beat me if they will. It's a really wonderful. It's like it's not about the opponent. It's not the rivalry. It's the rivalry with themselves, mm-hmm. which is so martial arts. Like I want to see how you're going to beat me. Right. And it's not arrogance. It's like I really want to figure see how you think you're going to beat me because I want to evolve. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, I'm a huge fan of this guy, you know, he needs to work on his boxing a little bit, but, <laughs> but you know, that, that, that way of like, it's not, it's not you and I hate you and I want to do this. It's like, how can I evolve to be the most efficient and perfect weapon I can be? How can I chase excellence? Yeah. How can I live that, that, that martial art code of, personal discipline and excellence and commitment and you know that that that's that's just, that's super cool yeah this is, so the rivalry other, doesn't always have to be there you the, know the other layer of the onion of uh professional fighting yeah right exactly yeah. you know and uh, you know so nobody says you know usain bolt versus whoever i don't even know i know usain <laughs> Who bolt else runs right right yeah <laughs> but you know you're like wow this guy's amazing or michael jordan you know i don't know anything about basketball did he have a rival Scotty Pippen? Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. Yeah, I don't I don't really know. I don't know anything about basketball. Bird. Yeah, right. You know, so maybe he had some rivalry, but, but I don't not really. I, yeah, not really, right? It's like how can he be the best, most amazing archetype of this sport? You know, the best, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. It's not him versus someone else. It's how can you you reach this ultimate threshold of human excellence? Mm-hmm. That's fascinating too, you know? So yeah. It's always like the back and forth, you know. Yeah. Uh, to me, that that latter is more interesting. But, but you know, you know, confession here. Did sometimes the, the the crazy rivals really do get me? You're like, ha, 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 I want to see that guy lose. <laughs> I always want to see Conor McGregor get the crap kicked out of him. So I hate Conor McGregor. I freaking hate that guy. Yeah. I respect him. I just I can't wait to see Khabib submit him or someone. I, I hate that guy. <laughs> hate well, that guy. We'll see it soon <laughs> enough for sure. Yes, uh, I guess we lost lots of fans now. All you <laughs> Irish people will stop listening to our podcast. We hate Conor McGregor. Don't listen. <laughs> uh, quick background on myself, but not as illustrious of a mixed martial arts career or martial arts career as, as Renee. I, I took one month of classes at a 10th Planet uh, Jiu-Jitsu uh, place, striking pretty much for a month. Oh, and really? Oh, you didn't do Jiu-Jitsu at all? No. Um, yeah, I just learned striking. Was that in Rochester? Yep. Oh, At uh, Empire Academy. Yeah. 10th Planet. Um, that was a lot of fun. I just ran out of money, so I couldn't afford it. <laughs> you know, it's uh, jiu-jitsu gets uh, a big bad rap of being a little too expensive. But as a gym owner, 
I would like to say that it's not so easy running a gym. You <laughs> I'm know? Sure. It's not like we're all like raking in the money and you know mm-hmm. living you know on our beds of satin. You know, <laughs> this uh, this gym uh, that I was in Rochester, they just uh, expanded. They got like a warehouse. I mean, real estate's a lot cheaper in Rochester, and they actually got a cage. Like they have a full yeah, octagon. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, so they're really on the up and coming. Um, I actually was born in Germany as well. And your father, you said, was born. Oh, really? That's wild. Wow, that's yeah. My father was in the army, so we were stationed there. And where were you? Where were you born? West Germany. Uh, well, when it was when Germany. was Germany? Yeah. I'm dating, dating myself. Dating yeah. <laughs> um, This is the old old the Fogies podcast. <laughs> old Fogie MMA podcast. It was. Uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but it was Wiesbaden. Oh, Wiesbaden. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I was. Uh, I think my dad and I drove through there in the 80s. Yeah. You know, to, on the way to. You know, do the whole roots thing. My dad was a Holocaust refugee, so he, oh, yeah. he had to get out of there fast. So, oh, of course. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, which is, I think, why he he did appreciate. Uh, he always was supportive of my martial arts. You know, mm-hmm. because I think whenever you have some traumatic experience, that goes for my students too. You know, a good portion of my students uh, have had traumatic experiences, and they they want to have that again. They want to feel empowered. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, we'll talk about it. We decided we'd talk about this in another podcast. But, you know, what brings people to martial arts? And one of them is the desire for empowerment and for security. And, and, and that's legitimate. You know, yeah. I think that's great. That's what brought me into it. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I want to I wanna have. And so, you know, for me, it's always chasing effectiveness. Not necessarily efficiency of the sport, but effectiveness in self-defense. And, you know, um, they, don't always, they don't always go together, you know. Uh, so you could be the amazing boxer, but, um, you know, you don't have to have any idea how to defend a headlock, which is one of the most common things that people do in a street fight, you know, mm-hmm. or you don't know how to do any sort of restraining hold. So if you're a police officer and you need to restrain, uh, emotionally disturbed person, you know, it's really good to know jiu-jitsu rather than having to beat them down to a pulp and be accused of, you know, um, excessive force mm-hmm. but you know that being said you know it, you know i deal with a lot of law enforcement officers you know it's a really tough job and they're not really well trained very often so and you know if someone's attacking you it's natural be scared so you don't understand what you're doing because you haven't had training so yeah. you overcompensate and then you know you 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 get attacked for for coming out now that's not to say that there are other issues too like you know this is i'm not talking any specific instance but you know there's always and since that can be dissected in many ways, but I think for a community to have martial arts who chase martial arts that really work can be is very important mm-hmm. rather than just you know um, Tai Chi or something like that, you know, which is great too. But but there are p- aspects of of our society that are not great, and whether it's law enforcement officers or a person who just walks down the street to, to understand that you can take care of yourself. Is, is a really great thing, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's what I try and provide, and I think a lot of martial artists are in the same, same boat, you know? That's my background, and, and like I said, my dad came from the, you know, refugees of the Holocaust, so he was always very, very supportive of my martial art training, um, and I think that's why I also maybe have developed that passion, you know? Mm-hmm. They say there's always an epigenetic element to your personality, so, you know, maybe have these, like, genetic <laughs> programming from my dad's experiences, yeah. you know? Uh, but, you know, who knows, you know? So uh, let's talk a little bit about what we can expect in the next couple uh, episodes, next couple weeks. We have um, some exciting guests in the pipe. Yes, yes. Some people that will be coming in, talking to us about some great stuff. 
Um, we have, there's a fighter that is part of the NutriChef family that's in Evicta, the fighting, fighting club, uh, Alexa Connors. Oh, yeah, female fighter. Yes, yeah, yeah for and sure. And I'm trying to get her. She's not local to New York, uh, so unfortunately you'd have to be over the phone, but I'm going to get her on the, on the show. She'll be, she'll be great. She just had, a, I think she had her fifth professional fight a couple weeks ago. Fantastic. Good Invicta. for her. Yeah, yeah. She's doing really well. I worked very briefly with the Invicta champion name, uh, very, very briefly with, uh, her name's uh, Angela Hill. It's a wonderful person now doing, you know, really great things. Mm-hmm. She's mostly a, a striker, uh, but I did uh, briefly show her some grappling. Right. And, uh, you know, I wish her all the best. She's a fantastic fighter. So, you know, the, the female league is doing great. Yeah, they're doing really well. Um, I, we're talking to, uh, what's his name? I'm going to get his name wrong. Um, Iron Sky. Have you heard of Iron Sky? I have not. Let me get it right before I ruin everything. It's not that TV show on Netflix, is it? No. Uh, <laughs> Iron Army, I apologize. Iron Army. Have you heard of Iron Army? I have not heard of Iron Army. So we have, uh, hopefully in the next couple weeks, Daniel Pierce will yeah. come in to join us. He's local, so he'll be right wait, in wait, here with he us. Wait, wait, is he Iron Army? No, he's the part of the uh, Iron Army company. So Iron oh. Army is a, is a supplement company. Oh. That is uh, part of, uh, they're working with Frankie Edgar. It's Frankie Edgar's company. Oh, right. Um, and uh, Daniel Pierce is kind of the, the brainchild behind the uh, development of that supplement. Uh, worked with Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate in the past. Um, and he trains, uh, where does he train? He trains in New Jersey. Yeah, probably Hickard Alameda's Academy. That's where Frankie Edgar's based. Something about Renzo Gracie. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully he'll be coming in here in the next couple of weeks. I'll have to steal myself for the Iron Army podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the, the great jokes that you can look forward to in the next couple of weeks as well. Renee's uh, special sense of humor. Thank you. Yes, very, very special, as in special bus special. <laughs> uh, so obviously we'll, we'll talk about fights. We'll talk about uh, we'll breakdowns of uh, any UFC events or any uh, major coming up events. I, I also were very lucky to get a friend of mine who is a striking uh, guru, and I don't use that term very lightly. Uh, you know, really, we were talking about, you know, evolution of the sport. This guy is taking, you know, the evolution of, of the strike element in a, a really awesome direction. And so I'm very proud to, to be working with him. I'm developing fighters. And he's going to be coming on the podcast, too, Professor Ken. And um, he's fantastic. And, uh, and I think uh, to have his insights in breaking down the minutia of the, of the striking game is, is going to be wonderful. He's yeah. such a brilliant, brilliant guy. Yeah, beautiful. There's a lot to look forward to in the yeah. next couple of weeks, for sure. Yeah. I'm very excited to move forward. Yeah, uh, And I know we, we want to expand the, the discourse um, uh, of martial arts towards something more than just fighting, but, you know, like, we're martial culture, so I'm really looking forward to, you know, we can explore what martial culture is and the history. I've got my master's degree from Columbia University, and, and I did it in, in Japanese uh, warfare studies, so... You know, I, I, I think uh, I, can, I can bring some, some historical uh, perspective on uh, things as I do speak Japanese fluently and, uh, wow. and have researched a lot of, uh, you know, what the, the origins of a martial arts tradition is. Yeah. You know, this book waiting that I still haven't finished, you know, my wife says <laughs> I keep finishing. So, so instead of the book, we'll just talk about it on the podcast. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I got really into anime um, in my high school years, and I tried to learn Japanese because I couldn't find any dubs of the shows I wanted to watch, so I had to either read them or learn Japanese. 
uh, I couldn't do it. So <laughs> you know, it's it's um, my old karate instructor said, you know, when I started learning Japanese when I was fourteen, right? He goes, Japanese is like is like martial arts. You can do it. You just gotta put a lot of time right. into it. It's and he, and he was right. You know, it's like there's very few martial arts that 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 people can't do. You just have to put the time in. You sure. have to collect those hours. You know, it's the, the Malcolm Gladwell, you know, 10,000 hour rule. You need to make those minimum thresholds. And with that, Japanese is a perfect example of that, that it's not like Spanish. It, it, it demands mm-hmm. you, you, you put those hours in. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not anyone brilliant for mastering Japanese, but I did, I did put the hours in. I'm still know. working on English. And once yeah, I got yeah. that figured out, maybe I'll work on, <laughs> work on to another one. <laughs> yeah, me too. You know? <laughs> So uh, this is going to be a very interactive show in the next coming weeks. Uh, we are going to be broadcasting somewhat live. I mean, we're recording live. There will be schedules put out, So, and there's a phone number you can call in. So interact with us during those moments where we will allow phone calls if you want to call in. Um, we'll have segments of, available for that. We'll, will we also be doing... I want to ask you, Ken. Will we, uh, I mean, Ken, I'm sorry, Matt. I was <laughs> just talking to Ken. Will we also be doing... Um, a question answer through maybe a Facebook page or something yes, like that? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay, there wonderful. is a Facebook page up. Fantastic. So it's I'll a, let all my guys know who are yeah. abroad to, to, um, to chime in questions. I have a lot of friends in Japan and also in Brazil and, yeah, so, and also in Europe. Some of my students who, who live there now. Yeah, so. be involved. Uh, control the, the direction of the show, where you want to see it go, and then and, and let us know how we're doing and, and what we can do better and, and be engaged. Yeah. With, uh, what, what is the Facebook page? Uh, it's just going to be the Martial Culture. Okay, great. Um, awesome. Yeah, so we'll uh, distribute that information via social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, so everybody can find us once they're live. Fantastic. Um, and uh, hopefully we can get you guys involved. Well, wonderful. I absolutely look forward to it. Yes. I'm so honored to, to be on this podcast with you. I'm honored as well. Thank you very much, <laughs> Thank sir. Thank you. Uh, so don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Please leave a review. That's how we get uh, moving up those charts on the iTunes charts there and get more people listening. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Marshall underscore culture and on Instagram at Marshall Culture Cast. Please leave a review on iTunes and we'll see you next time on the Marshall Culture Podcast.